Timothy chapter 2, and then I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. Praise God. And in 1 Timothy 2 and beginning with verse number 8, the Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Y'all ever heard that read and preached before? In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste, that's C-H-A-S-T-E, not S-E-D, behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Everybody say amen. amen. Now this is the Apostolic Doctrine and Holiness Conference. And we have heard some doctrine preached today. And by the help of the Lord, I want to give you a little bit of the holiness side of it today. Probably nothing new, but it's what I feel. It's the way I see it. And I know it's not the first time you've heard this subject preached, but it's the way I see it, and I hope that I can help you here this morning. I want to talk to you based on these two passages of Scripture, and hopefully you will understand the reason for this title in a few moments. I want to talk to you about the beauty contest. The beauty contest. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Lift your hands one more time and ask God to help us today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, in the name of Jesus, we need you. Pray, God, that you would anoint the preaching of your word today. God, give us your help and assistance. We want to be a blessing to those that are assembled. God, deal with our hearts and souls today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God, praise God. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Now these are passages that are not strange. I hope they're not anyway. 
to holiness-minded apostolic people, but which have somehow in the last number of years gotten lost in the shuffle of the modernization of mainstream religion and sadly even a whole lot of Pentecost. And yet these verses are more than just some instructions on what we should do and not do, put on or not put on. But I believe that they also represent and reveal a contrast and a struggle between two opposing trends and philosophies and ways of life. That of the emphasis of outward adorning versus that of inward beauty. Praise God. And in fact, I believe that they go farther than that. It represents two spirits at work with the resulting outward manifestation of an inward condition. In other words, what is visible on the outside says a whole lot about what is going on on the inside. And I think to really understand these passages and uh, the principle that is being advanced here, you have to go a long ways back. In fact, I go all the way back to what the Bible has to say about our enemy, Satan. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about him in, in uh, the ancient times, but... I believe the scripture gives us a little glimpse anyway, just a little, a little notion of what was taking place back then. And evidently there was a time when Satan was uh, a very, very beautiful and noble presence that stood before the throne of God. An angel of great power and authority. An angel... Amen. That was looked up to and respected and had a lot of influence among other angelic beings. And so the Bible says, for instance, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, and this is familiar to you, but these verses, and I'm not going to read them, but I'll refer to them. They're spoken of as a lamentation against the king of Tyrus, but I do not believe and I hope that I'm not crossing theology with anybody, but I do not believe that they were being written to a mortal man who was a king of Tyrus. Amen. It could not have been an ordinary man any more than in the book of Daniel when Daniel uh, receives a visitation from the archangel and says, The prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. There is no mortal man that can withstand an archangel for 21 days. When one angel can march into uh, a camp with 185,000 men of war and wipe them out in one night, there isn't a man alive that can withstand an archangel for 21 days. And so the king of Tyrus here is 
uh, is a uh, symbolic term that is being mentioned and it is making reference instead of a, a human uh, authority to a demonic dominion that existed in that place. And it says uh, concerning him, every you were in the garden of God and every precious stone was your covering. And it mentions many different uh, uh, gems and stones. And, and it says, and because uh, of all of this, your heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Now that's a very important thing for us to understand. His heart was lifted up because of his beauty. And it was corrupted by uh, thy wisdom, uh, was corrupted by reason of thy brightness. This was an extremely attractive, dazzling being that existed. In Isaiah chapter 14, it is spoken of as a parable to the king of Babylon. Again, I do not believe a mortal man, but a dominion in Babylon. And it said, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And Lucifer means the day star. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the star of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This is revealing the desire, the motive, the agenda, the purpose of this being. And yet God's response was, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Praise God. And so, uh, however it happened, again, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail, but we do know there was one monumental revolt in heaven, and that one-third of the angels of heaven came under the influence and the spell of this mighty archangel by the name of Lucifer that was dazzling in his beauty and brightness and glory and they were cast out of heaven. Many years later Jesus would say I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven and henceforth he is known then as the prince of this world he still has authority he still has power he still has dominion he is the prince of this world the one we're living in right now he is the prince of the power of the air amen and with his cohorts the bible speaks about the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places and that's what we are contending with today we are living as we have preached here before in a very hostile uh, environment you all believe that don't you Brother Epley preached, we're not in heaven yet. We're still fighting these formidable foes and enemies of God. Amen. But their agenda 
and their purpose and their goal has never changed. Amen. He set up his dominion on this earth, but he has continued on with his struggle against God in a campaign to oppose, to counteract, and to contradict everything that God has ever attempted to do. And it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with the first man and first woman. Amen. When Satan made his appearance there and he tempted Eve and he pointed out the fruit that had been forbidden and he presented it to Eve in a different light. Up until then, it was forbidden. Adam had said, God said if we eat it, we'll die. So don't even touch it. Stay away from it. But Satan said, look how beautiful it is. And if you'll eat it, you will become like God. Which is what he has always wanted to be, is like God. And the Bible said that Eve then saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Everybody say the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. And so she partook of the forbidden fruit. Satan could not create the fruit, but he exaggerated its appeal. And he is a specialist in making what is forbidden look attractive and desirable and something you just must have. Stay with me today. I'm going to try to move as fast as I can. Amen. But you don't see cigarette ads showing people hooked up to all kinds of life support systems. And you don't see alcohol ads showing people with their skin yellowed from cirrhosis of the liver. Amen. You don't see the ads for those things with people with swollen tongues, with cancer of the tongue and throat. Amen. Advertising it. You see the Marlboro man in a beautiful beautiful country. You see healthy, young, uh, vibrant uh, young people enjoying their youth and health. That's what you see, but it's a lie. Everything the devil ever does is a lie. Everything he says is a lie. Amen. And the Bible even says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. That Satan is transformed into an angel of light. If we were to see him tonight, we would not see horns and a pointed tail and the hoofs of a goat. It would not be a frightening, scary individual. He knows we would run from him. He would present himself as an angel of light. He would be dazzling. He would be uh, impressive. That's why you can't believe everything you see. You can't buy into, amen, everything that you see. Praise the Lord because seeing is, it may be believing, but seeing is deceptive. Come on now. Amen, I used to work at the radio station in Baton Rouge, Louisiana that just happened to be owned by Jimmy Swaggart many years ago when I was a teenager and I was a radio DJ for a while and then I also preached our radio program and I heard with my own ears 
amen, Jimmy Swagger say that he had a dream one night where an angel of God came to him. And so he asked the question, you know, there's all this debate about the Godhead. And so tell me once and for all, is there just one or are there three? And the angel said there's three. And he said, that's why I believe the Trinity. If he saw an angel, it wasn't, amen, on our side. It was a lie. Praise the Lord. And so his motive, his purpose, his agenda has never changed. And he has continued on in his efforts and in his contest, if you will, to match God in power and in glory. And yet he falls woefully short. You see, God is a creator, but Satan is an inventor. And that's why men who follow him are inventors of evil things. But God is a creator. What he does is beautiful. What he does is clean. What he does is pure. What Satan does is contaminated. It's filthy. It's vile. Praise the Lord. God can create a Mount Everest. But Satan invents a Tower of Babel. God can create the Grand Canyon. The best Satan can do is a sports arena. God can create and hold you spellbound by a beautiful sunset. But Satan, he creates a Hollywood movie screen. He invents, hallelujah. God can create celestial bodies that are beautiful and impressive. But Satan is an inventor of things that destroy ballistic missiles that fly through the air and bring destruction. God can create the gorgeous sounds of nature, the clap of thunder, the gurgling brooks, the song of the nightingale, the chip chirp of a cricket. But Satan puts on a rock concert. Stay with me now. Hallelujah. Satan's beauty is artificial. It's superficial. It is, it is pretentious. It is deceptive. Hallelujah. It is ornamental. And it is contrived. But God's beauty is natural. It is profound. It is sincere. And it is pure. Satan's is sensual and corrupt and flashy. But God's is holy. That's how you know the difference. And even in religion, praise the Lord, praise God, hallelujah. You know, uh, uh, God, uh, well, Satan, his dominion here on earth, here on earth, he, uh, his men have been noted for building great cities. Go back to the uh, book of Genesis and you will read there the history of man and the descendants of, of Cain were builders of great cities filled with decadence and debauchery and corruption. But when Jesus came along, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's a difference between God's church and the devil's church. And so Satan's religion is predicated on eye appeal. 
I heard Brother McMullen say one time that the devil works through the eyes. Satan's religion is predicated on eye appeal. That's why all the great religions of the world, they can put forth their majestic temples and cathedrals and people go there by the thousands and they're covered with all kinds of ornate workmanship of gold and silver and precious stones but it's empty it's empty ours started in an upper room where there came a sound from heaven a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting hallelujah Praise God. What they have is pomp and circumstance and formalism and ritual and a whole lot. Amen. Of all that religiosity, what we have is an experience. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It would take a hundred Mormon tabernacle choirs. And they still couldn't equate one Holy Ghost filled, anointed young lady singing under the power of the Holy Ghost. Now what the devil presents looks better than what we have. And that's why the millions and the masses are drawn away to it. The Meccas and the St. Peter's cathedrals in Rome and, and on and on various other pivotal centers around the world. What the devil has looks better. What we have here today is in spite of the fact that it's very good may not be as impressive as what Brother Epley referred to a Benny Hen crusade. We won't have, you won't see nobody here walking around, amen, and knocking people down and all of the stuff that they do and everybody just getting all worked up about it. What the devil has is visually impressive. Hallelujah. But what God has doesn't appeal to the eye, but it reaches you in your ear. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? God works through the ear. If you've got your eyes just on the sensational and the impressive, you're going to be drawn away by the spirits of this age. You're going to follow after some charismatic trend. I doubt very seriously this pulpit's going to be cleaving down the middle here today. But what you are going to hear is truth. It's doctrine. It's the word of God that will sustain you and keep you as you go along. Oh, with this crusade, all of this happened and it was razzle-dazzle. Amen. If that's, what you're, that's why Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now, I believe God can work signs and I believe he's a miracle working God. And it would thrill me to know him, to see his power sweep through here and heal every sick body in this building. But the Bible also said that the Antichrist would come in with great, uh, with great signs and lying wonders. And he would deceive many. Unless you have your ear tuned to the truth, you're going to be swept away. You can be seated. I go to church 
Not to see a building. And we have more beautiful buildings in Pentecost than ever before. But that's not the attraction. I grew up on the mission field and church for us was pretty rude and crude. A lot of times dirt floors and splintery wooden benches. But we didn't even think about the building or our surroundings. There was something there that the eye could not see. And it's what David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. You won't see razzle-dazzle at this meeting, but if you'll listen to the Word of God, as, you, as we have already heard preached, you are going to see the beauty of the Lord. And it's going to raise something in your spirit. Oh, yes, it is. Anybody believe that here? Church is more than songbooks and pews and musical instruments. I go away with a greater revelation, a greater appreciation than I ever had before. I was there a couple of weeks ago when Brother Epley preached the message he just preached a few minutes ago, but I enjoyed it again just a little bit ago because it just awakened something inside of me. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It wasn't his charismatic appeal. It wasn't the eloquence and articulation. Although don't let that Kentucky accent fool you. Praise the Lord. But it was the word that was preached. There's an ongoing contest and struggle. Quit looking at the church across town. Quit worrying about what the charismatics are doing. And what backslid Pentecost is doing. We don't need the latest gospel rock group on our platforms for us to have church. We don't need somebody pulling rabbits out of the hats or the latest drama and big production. All we need is an anointed man of God preaching the word of God. Be seated. And so in every area and in every way, Satan is continuing his struggle, his contest, his opposition against God. But in all of these, his greatest project is control of the human body. We were made in his image, the image of God. And... Satan has desired to control and dominate the human body from day one. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He was cast out of heaven because he tried to raise his throne above the Most High and be like the Most High. If we are the temple of God, created in His image, 
then there's nothing that thrills Satan anymore than taking control of our temple and sitting down in the throne that belongs to God. It's like in your face, God. I'm sitting where you belong. I'm controlling what you should be controlling. I'm dominating what you would like to dominate. And he wants to replace God's glory with his own beauty. It was his beauty that corrupted him in the first place. And so he wants to replace the glory of God with the artificial beauty that he promotes. Once you understand that principle, then you begin to realize that the type of outward adornment then puts on display for all to see who is in charge inside, who is sitting on the throne internally. Amen. I, I hope you're following me here today. But the apostle said in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Everybody say your bodies. I think as we heard today, that must mean a literal body. Your body. Your flesh and blood body. Not just your spirit. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And when you've done that, don't pat yourself on the back. It is your reasonable service. It's what you owe to him. The Bible said you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it's just a matter of the heart, they say. You can be seated. I'm going to say something that may blow somebody out of the water here. But I went to the pulpit in a, in a meeting where there was a lot of conflict on this subject. And there were two very, very strong opposing uh, elements there, one that was trying to hold on to old time way, old time doctrine, old time holiness, and others that had learned to embrace this new modernistic appeal approach. Strange how that the one thing that the element that wanted to embrace this new way, the one thing they had in common is they had embraced television. And they saw the charismatics doing all their doodads on there, and they got jealous and envious. They wanted to be like them. And so now it's all a matter of the heart, and so I went there one day, and I hope you won't think poorly of me. But in the hotel where I was staying at that particular place, they had in every room some beverages that you could drink, including beer. Beer. 
And I took one of those bottles. I didn't drink it, I promise you. I poured it out in the commode. I washed it all out. And I took it to church with me. And I put some water in it. And I said, I am so glad that I have learned that what's on the outside doesn't matter. And I took that beer bottle and I set it up on the pulpit and their eyes got big. I said, I assure you that there is water in this bottle. And they're all like, yeah, sure. And so I turned around and I passed it around to the preachers that were sitting on the platform. Sniff of it. Smell it. If you care to, taste it. I promise you, it's water. I said, but what's on the outside doesn't matter, so I'm just going to drink water out of this beer bottle right here. And I put it to my lips and drank it. You could hear a collective gasp. If I had done that here, you'd probably run me out of town. And I said, don't sweat it, don't worry. What's on the inside is water. The outside is just a label, it means nothing. You're making conclusions based on the label, and I'm telling you, it's water. I said, however, if I had not given you that explanation and you saw me on the corner with this bottle to my lips, you would automatically conclude that what's on the inside is matching the label on the outside. And before it was over with, I said, I know what some of you are thinking. You're being offended just because I would bring a bottle with this labor, uh, this label into the sanctuary today. And you are offended by the very presence of the bottle. When it's a glass bottle like any other bottle, like a Coke bottle, like a Dr. Pepper bottle, it only has a different label. And I said, and yet some of you that claim to have the goods on the inside, and yet you've got the world's label on the outside, you're walking right into the house of God, showing off your flesh and your ungodliness and you don't think nothing of that hey man be seated so what's on the outside based on the scriptures that I read to you today along with others is representative of what's going on on the inside and so Satan's beauty appeals to the human ego. That's why women are especially vulnerable because they have a trait. It's not unique to them, but it is one that's often attributed to them. It's called vanity. Men don't go buy clothes and ask one another, how do I look? You think this makes me look fat? Men don't take other men's clothes shopping with them for encouragement. Watch two women walk up to greet each other and the first thing they do is look down at their shoes. Men don't do that. As a rule, they don't. 
There might be some. Amen. Men don't traditionally say, where did you get that shirt? <laughs> Women are especially vulnerable. They have a trait. It's very dominant. It's called vanity. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to alienate any of the lady folks today. I'm just telling it like it is. Men have one. It's called stubbornness. Can all the ladies say amen? Woo, that was anointed. Stubbornness. But with all of us, it is the human ego that the enemy works with. And as with Satan, if you're not careful, your ego, whether it's your vanity or your arrogance or your stubbornness or whatever it is, will lead to pride and ultimate destruction. I want you to notice what happens when a young lady backslides. Almost the first thing they do, tell me if I'm wrong, is cut their hair. That God gave it to them for a covering. And it is their glory. First thing the devil wants to do is remove the evidence of God's glory. And the next time you see them, they've got makeup on and eyeshadow, and their fingernails are painted. In some churches, you don't even have to quit church to do that. But right away, traces and evidences of Satan's dominion and control begin to appear on their outward appearance. It's telling you who's in charge. When they go by their clothes now, they're not thinking about how they're going to look in the eyes of God. They're thinking about how they're going to look in the eyes of men. Oh, stay with me. I know this is, this is common and ordinary. It's cut hair, it's makeup, it's jewelry, it's ornamentation. You know what the devil wants? He wants to cloak us with the symbols of his ownership and let the whole world know he or she belongs to me now. Be seated. That's why jewelry is such a big problem. Now the Bible says about Satan, every precious stone was thy covering. I don't know exactly how to interpret that, except every precious stone was his, was his covering. I didn't grow up in Morton's Gap, but... Did they wear jewelry in the Old Testament? Yes. But it was always a snare to them. And it always led them away from God. Hallelujah. And so all the way back in the New Testament or the Old Testament in the book of Genesis when Jacob was 
about to lead his family back to Bethel. His family that had never been there. That didn't know the God of Bethel. His wives had been married when he was away. His children had grown up away. They knew nothing about the God of Abraham and Isaac. But Jacob is about to introduce them to the God of Bethel. And so he says to them, be clean and change your garments. He wasn't saying go put on clean clothes. It was the type of attire that they had on that was representative of that pagan environment that they had grown up in. This is a holy God we're going to meet. And you can't go dress like that. And while we're at it, he said, take off your ornaments. God isn't impressed with that. And I'm going to tell you that we also should not be concerned about keeping up with Vogue magazine and Cosmopolitan. Why would a young lady want to get a Cosmopolitan magazine so she can peruse it and fantasize about what she would look like if her hair was cut, if she had makeup on like that, if she was dressed like that? You're opening your soul up to the one who is the prince of this world. Those things didn't come from God. We don't follow them. We don't care what Calvin Klein says. We don't care what Christian Dior says. We don't care what any of the other, amen, high priests of fashion say. We only care about one thing. How can we please God? We don't follow the Hollywood stars and the country and western and pop singers. We don't want our young ladies looking like uh, Madonna or, or uh, Christina uh, Aguilera or, or Britney Spears. Church is not a place for young ladies to come in and be showing off their belly button. Can't raise their hands without being indecent. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here today because you are gifted. You are blessed with pastors that have taught you this and put it in you. But I want you to see today, it's more than just a system of do's and don'ts. It's more than just church regulations. It is a matter of who is sitting on the throne. Praise God, praise God. Amen. We don't need no spice girls in church. Huh? We don't need no spice girls in church. Men have enough temptation out there in that world. Last place they should have to encounter it is in church. Skirts so tight they can hardly waddle. Low necklines, sheer clothing, revealing attire. This is God's house. God's on the throne here. God's in control here. 
God is to be glorified here. And if we are his people, we'll not only do it in church, we'll do it wherever we go, at school, on the job, when we're out shopping for groceries. Come on now. Because we are representing him everywhere we go. We want the whole world to know that something has changed. Satan is not in charge. Praise the Lord. I guess it's okay to say split skirts here. I don't think they'll pull this tape, Brother McMullen, for saying split skirts here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, if the skirt's so tight it has to be split for you to walk, it's too tight, honey. It's just that simple. What are they thinking anyway? I know what they're thinking, and it's not the glory of God they're thinking. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You can be seated. In Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites melted down the ornaments that they had taken from the Egyptians. The Egyptians opened up their storehouses and they gave them their wealth. God did that. But it wasn't because God was wanting them to put them on. He had another plan for them. This was going to be their treasury in their new country. They were an impoverished slave people. God was giving them a treasury. But in no time they're melting down those ornaments. And what did they do with it? But they built a golden calf. And started worshiping it. Later on, you find that that's not all they did with it. They were wearing them. Because when God thunders out of heaven and begins to judge them for that, he says, put off thine ornaments that I may know what to do unto thee. I'm not even going to talk to you till you get that stuff off of you. Anybody care about God talking to us today? We've all heard about Gideon and his great victory with 300 men. But unfortunately, that's not all the Bible tells about him. After he defeated Midian, they went through the battlefield and they collected off the fallen corpses of the Midianites their earrings. And the Bible says specifically, this is why they had earrings, because they were Ishmaelites. That lets you know that there weren't any on the Israelites. There were some on the Ishmaelites because that was their tradition. That was their calling sign. If we're not careful... And it will happen and maybe already is happening across Pentecost. There's going to be 
Pentecostal churches where it's okay not only for the women but for men to wear earrings. If the women can wear them, why can't the men wear them? Can you stay with me now? So in this same conference where I used the beer bottle illustration, and I hope you'll forgive me for that, I felt convicted just drinking water out of that thing. But uh, I'd been out walking and there was a street vendor vending cheap jewelry and, and I bought uh, what looked like an earring, but it could also pass as a, a ring. And so I bought it and I took it with me. I didn't get to use it. But what I was going to do is say, now, if I put it on this finger, it's just a wedding band, right? But what if I take it off and I put it right here? Or I put it right here. Is it jewelry now? And other assorted places. <clears throat> Same object. Just on a different place of the body. Y'all aren't falling out with me yet, are you? I'll try to hurry today. But they collected the earrings off those Ishmaelites. And you know what they did? They didn't take them and go do something good with them. They melted it down and made a golden ephod. And all Israel, the Bible said, went a-whoring. It just seems like jewelry and idolatry go hand in hand. You know what it is? It's Satan stealing away the praise and the worship and the glory that belongs to God and drawing it away to himself. I think we ought to make a pledge. We're going to deny him that. We want to be able to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. We've all heard of wicked Jezebel. The Bible said she painted her face. She tired her head. She tried to seduce Jehu like it had worked with so many along the way. And that same spirit of Jezebel is at work today. Bear with me. I'll get somewhere here in a minute. But backslidden Israel is also is portrayed as an adulterous woman. And here's what it says in Ezekiel 23. It said, Thou didst wash thyself, painest thine eyes, and deckest thyself with ornaments, saddest upon thy stately bed. This was a picture of a harlot. God doesn't have a harlot, church. We're not going to commit spiritual adultery with this world. In Isaiah chapter 3, it describes the haughty woman flaunting herself against God and all of the trinkets and stuff that she had on. But the Bible said no flesh should glory in his presence. We are not here to give, draw glory to ourselves. We are here to give glory to God. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
Now there might be somebody here, I don't know, I can't see across this congregation, but there might be somebody here that was never taught this. Maybe you're visiting here today. I'm not out to offend you or to insult you. We can't expect the world in its ignorance to know this, but they will learn it when they come to church. But at least one God apostolic people ought to know better. Amen. Every time somebody gives into this, it is a victory for Satan. Satan is flaunting his beauty again. Be seated, I'm going to try to hurry to close. An outward manifestation of an inward condition. This is what God desires. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You know your brand new Cadillac doesn't impress God? Your half a million dollar home doesn't impress God. Your big bank account doesn't impress God. If you brought that and gave it to the kingdom of God, it would be beneficial. But in the eyes of God, what has great price is the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. You know there's more to holiness than what you put on. I've seen some apostolics that are every inch the apostolic, but they have a rotten attitude, a sour disposition. And the compromisers and hypocrites and charismatics like to point them out as justification for their lifestyle. You can't take an extreme to prove an extreme. Still don't make it right. Isaiah 61, you give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, the garment of praise, that he might be glorified. And it speaks about the ornament of salvation, uh, the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. And in Psalm 149 and 1, he will beautify the meek with salvation. God has a way of beautifying his people in a way that Merle Norman never could. Mary Kay never could. There's about three people that agree. Thank you very much. Maybe you don't even know who they are, and if that so, that's good. But they're large cosmetic manufacturers and proponents. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, there is nothing so beautiful as a young lady full of the Holy Ghost. Dressed godly with her countenance all aglow. You think you're going to look pretty when you go into the world? I hate to say this here today, but I lost a young lady just a few weeks ago. She came and talked to my wife and I, and she said, I'm sorry, I just love the world. I just love the world and everything in it. She had just been to a youth conference with us, and she looked so beautiful, dressed godly. She's not a petite young lady by any stretch, kind of a large build, but she was dressed so nice, and her hair was fixed up so beautiful. And now then I saw her just two nights ago, makeup on, hair trimmed. And I thought, you look ten times prettier 
when you were in church than you do right now. How many of you believe that? He will beautify the meek with salvation. In 2 Chronicles 20, 21, the Bible said we should praise uh, Him in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is not an ugly thing. It's attractive. It's beautiful. If you get a revelation of it, everybody has to have a revelation of it. If all you think of it is your system of do's and don'ts and you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, you're missing the point, honey. Holiness, just like the Godhead, just like the coming of the Lord, just like the blood, just like Calvary, just like church, just like the ministry, it all takes a revelation. you got to have a revelation of holiness. I'm just about done. Playa Azul is just around the corner. You can be seated, but let me show you very quickly the fact that when Jesus came to this earth, it was a very vivid demonstration of what I've been preaching about. The Bible said in Isaiah that when they would see him, there would be no beauty that they would desire him. There was nothing extraordinary about his outward appearance, his physical presence. There was no eye appeal involved. I do not believe he was extraordinarily tall, broad-shouldered, excessively muscular, some dashing presence of a man. I believe he came like an ordinary man. You would miss him in a crowd like this. Indeed, there were times when he slipped into town incognito. He didn't even stand out. Nobody noticed him. In one place, the Bible said, on that day, that last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. He'd been there for several days observing their religious uh, rituals, and, and he was disturbed, and he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. They probably turned around and looked at him like, Who is this crazy man? He did not come with a heavenly entourage did not come riding a chariot to fire with dazzling cherubs going before him. He was born of a virgin girl laid in a manger. Shepherds went in and worshipped him. There was no beauty in him at all. And it is that very reason why that so many missed him. They looked right past him. And they never even recognized him. With very few exceptions. Hallelujah. But don't draw any conclusions on that. Because there was a day when Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up a mountain and the Bible said suddenly he was transfigured before them. And brother, when they turned and looked at him, they saw him like they had never seen him before. 
You know why? He just lifted the veil a little bit, revealed and manifested his true glory, his, two pre his true presence. Hallelujah. They weren't seeing a false representation of him. They were seeing him as he really was. But was, it was concealed by his human persona. And when it was over, Peter was so excited, he said, let's build three temples here. That's always the way the devil operates. Praise God. Let's get an icon. Let's get something physical, something tangible. But Jesus worked in the intangible. And there was something a whole lot greater at work than just what they were seeing. And that's why the Bible said he went to Calvary, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. There was something more glorious in the future and in store for them. Hallelujah. And then I want you to see him as John saw him on the Isle of Patmos when he heard a voice behind him and he turned and suddenly he saw what he had never seen before. He said his head and his hairs was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. Amen. And this man said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold him alive forevermore. This was the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Except you're looking at him now. Hallelujah. Without that filter. You're seeing him in his glory. In his majesty. In his power. Hallelujah. Stay with me now. And so that was Jesus. And he is our example. But here we are tonight. And we're all the time having to fight this this. Uh, uh, this thinking and this feeling in our congregations, especially among our young people, that they are being cons confined and restricted and they look ugly and they're being deprived and they're not as attractive as those around them. But I'm telling you, what we have is not on the outside. It is on the inside. The Bible said we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's something on the inside working on the outside. But don't be deceived by that because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the world might look at you with disdain and they might look at you with ridicule and they might feel sorry for you. Amen and bemoan the fact that you have to sit under tyrants and Jim Joneses that don't let you enjoy the true pleasures of life but we know a secret that while this outward man is perishing the inward man is being renewed day by day we know a secret amen that when uh, the sufferings of this present time are over, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Stay with me now. I'm just about done. Stay with me. 
Amen. When Moses was on the backside of the desert or on the mountain, amen, and he was talking to God and that 80-some-year-old man, his pulse was quickening, his heart was beating fast. He was in the presence of God. And so like a little kid, he suddenly in the middle of all God was saying, he made a request. He said, let me see your glory. And God said, nobody can look on me and live. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to carve a cleft in yonder rock. You hide in it. I will hold my hand over it. And when I pass by, I will remove my hand. And I will let you see my hinder parts. And and there's a whole lesson in that that I'm not going to go into. But that's exactly what he did. And Moses got a glimpse. And ladies and gentlemen, when he came down off the mountain, after just that little glimpse, his flesh had been so touched and affected by what he saw, just a glimpse, that he wasn't just glowing. Somebody didn't just say, man, there's a shine about you. It was so bright, he had to wear a veil over his face because the people could not steadfastly look on the face of Moses. One little glimpse of the glory of God had such an effect on his human body that people could not look on him. I've got better news for you. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, but we know, somebody say we know. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. As we've already heard it today, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, mortal shall put on immortality. Corruption shall put on incorruption. Weakness shall put on power. And we shall be like him. Look who's going to win the beauty contest. Oh, let's give the Lord a hand clap today. Come on. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Can you hold on for a little while longer? Can you suffer some things a little while longer? Can you endure some things a little while longer? This isn't for keeps. This isn't forever. There's a change coming. And when that change comes, it's going to be so mighty, so dazzling, so glorious that the angels are going to step aside and stand in attention as the bride of Jesus Christ makes her triumphal entry. 
You can stay standing because I'm done. Cain's descendants were builders of great cities. The world yet today flaunts its great cities. Rome, Paris, New York, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, Sao Paulo, Brazil, second or third largest in the world. Impressive. city of Sao Paulo where I grew up is 60 miles in diameter. I said 60 miles in diameter. With over twice the number of skyscrapers as New York City. Teaming millions of people, 20-some million people, you could put the entire population of Texas in this city. You fly into it, it's impressive. You go to Las Vegas, it's lights, flashing neon lights. It's all of the big billboards and signs. All the tinsel and glitter. Don't they call it Tinsel Town? It's the devil's crown jewel. It's his pride and joy. He says, look what I've done. Look what I can do. John said, I, John, I looked up and I saw a city. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Adorned like a bride for her husband. <laughs> Devil, you cheap imitator, you. Let me remind the devil of a city he will never step one foot in. He will not claim as his own. It is a city, amen, approximately 1,665 miles wide. 1,665 miles long. And it's 1,665 miles high. The space shuttle orbits the earth at about 300 miles above the ground. The space shuttle does. It's called space. This city is as high as it is wide and long. And it's just the capital city of the kingdom that we are going to inherit. And it's got walls of jasper and gates, massive gates of solid pearl. And gold is so plentiful there, they use it for asphalt. And it's so pure, it's like transparent glass. And there is no need for light because the Lamb is the light of that city. That's where I'm going. If you want to trade this in for some cheap trinkets, you can buy at Walmart. You help yourself. But I'm on my way to a victory celebration. We are going to win the beauty contest. When it's all said and done, there is no contest. When it's all said and done, there is no comparison. The devil doesn't even come close to what we have reserved in heaven for us.
Oh, if I could just put on a little earring, I just know it would help my appearance a lot. I got bad news for some of you. It'd take a whole lot more than that. But if you will be faithful, standing before the saints of all the ages, before the millions of angelic homes, hallelujah, hallelujah, God is going to place a crown of gold upon your head that would make the Queen of England blush in embarrassment for her cheap little imitations. Come on now. Now, why would we even preach something like this? It's the first thing the world notices. We invite somebody. I can't dress like you folks dress. So plain, so this, so that. You need a revelation that there is more than just conforming to some do's and don'ts. There's a principle involved. We don't want God. We don't want the devil. We don't want the world to know that Satan is on the throne in our life. We want everybody to know God is in control. Lift your hands and thank God for his beauty. Thank God for his glory. Thank God for his majesty. Thank God for his holiness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're blessed. We're privileged. We're honored. Come on, say it in truth. Don't say it and then backslide before this meeting next year. Say it and embrace it. Say it and love it. Say it and fall in love with it. God bless you today.